Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, Meridian Friends. I'm really glad you guys stopped by today. It's so good to be in worship. I just have to say that. We were gone last Sunday. I don't know if you noticed, but we were gone last Sunday. And for us, it was a delightful time, and it was well-timed in our lives. I think in the last 12 days, I've done three funerals and a wedding. This sounds like a movie title or something, doesn't it? Um, But in there, just to have a break and to be fishing for a few days, fishing, not catching. (laughs) It was my fault. I picked the timing on what I could schedule. We knew that now is the time to be there, I think. Um, And just some time alone uh, for Teresa and I to be on the coast. And the Lord met us in a really unique way, and I'm just grateful um, for that rest and that time. And then I come here, just about everything I want to say in the message has been said in this time of worship. I love it when that happens. So grateful for our musicians, aren't you? I don't know how they picked that music <laughs> and what they did, but I'm just grateful for you. Um, I have to say, too, you know, it just feels more like home when JD's over there. Your grandma's not alone while she's worshiping over there. Um, thank you for your military service. And welcome home um, as you're here for the weekend. <laughs> J.D. was here for that wedding. I think that's why he was here. It was to see me and the wedding. <laughs> so we're really glad he's here. And I just wanted to say um, to Natasha, thank you. You're a treasure. Um, anybody who recognizes Pam as wonderful, we know that you know her. And blessings on you as you share Christ's love with refugees and children particularly and youth and people in situations that are just different than what we can imagine. It means a lot to me that you're here today. We here, many miles away, have prayed for and shared tears for the Ukrainian people and to have you among us and to share your heart. It means so much. And so much of my prayer in this situation, we know that wars are going to happen. We know that people are people. We know that governments are governments. So much of my prayer is that the gospel is advancing. Because that's what's permanent. Being without a home is temporary. Being without freedoms is temporary. Even losing our life in this world is temporary. But souls, and particularly children who have been displaced, bringing them into the care of Jesus Christ is permanent. And 
so, so grateful for your work. Thankful for Pam's work as well. Hope that you love on them as you find them in the fellowship hall today and learn more about their ministries. It's just good to be home. I feel like I cry every time I come back into the pulpit. I should leave more often, probably. I don't know. But um, Lana Thurston has been cleared to uh, head as well to Palestine. She'll be sharing with Palestinian people the hope of Jesus. And God willing, that will happen fairly soon. So Lana's here today. We're not going to miss the chance to pray with you before you go, I hope. Uh, so don't just disappear on us. <laughs> but that is really an answer to prayer for her and her life, and we're grateful um, for God's provision over you. I also thought about, I'll get to the sermon sometime, I guess, but it all has to do, I think, with loving people. I also thought about two families that are represented here who uh, just had weddings for their children. And for however busy I've been, <laughs> that is an intense season. Um, congratulations. And we're delighted for what God will do in their lives. Would you turn with a Bible to Luke chapter 19? And I want to share with you a narrative that Luke offers to us. It happened on Jesus' way to Jerusalem, of all things. He goes through a place called Jericho. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. If you visit Jericho today, you will hear about this account, which makes Jericho famous for us in the New Testament. It's famous in the Old Testament for other reasons. Uh, they'll show you the walls and so forth. But of course, I'm having you turn to Luke chapter 19 and the account of Zacchaeus who climbed the sycamore fig tree. And all that I could think about all week was the song. So my apologies if that gets stuck in your head <laughs> right now. But sure enough, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, <laughs> climbed up the sycamore tree. And he did that to see Jesus. Now, if you go to Jericho today, they'll actually show you this massive sycamore tree that they have celebrated as the tree <laughs> that he climbed. Just know that when you visit places like that, some things are more commemorative than historical. <laughs> so we at least know what it looked like and approximately where it was. Um, if you're there, you're probably not right where Zacchaeus was, but you're thousands of miles closer than you are here. So that counts for something, I think. But Jesus significantly was on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem for the final time. We know in his public ministry, he traveled that way three times in observance of Passover. And so Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. But we know that it was much more than going for Passover, right? It was ultimately to go to the cross. And Jesus understood this. He has just told his disciples, recorded here in uh, Luke, I believe, chapter 18, that he knows that his death is coming. And yet Jesus takes the time to notice a desperate soul. So convicting for me because I think I'm too busy sometimes to take the time to listen to a soul. And Jesus sort of blows 
all those excuses out of the water, doesn't he? As we read of this account of Zacchaeus, someone who literally went out on a limb to see Jesus, you're wondering if Zacchaeus climbed the limb of this tree over here in our parking lot, right? See the size of the limb that went down? As we read about Zacchaeus, who literally went out on a limb, and and he did at least two things that any dignified, especially wealthy person in his day and age, in his culture, would not do. He ran, and he climbed a tree. Those are things that kids do. Those are not things that dignified adults do, and people who are well-known in town. He literally risked being a fool to see Jesus. As we read about that, as we read about Jesus noticing him, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you about someone in your life who needs to encounter Jesus. Someone that you know, someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone that you pray for. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I'm reading from Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So again, he was on his way to other things, right? A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Religious people in Jesus' day don't get very good press, do they? Something wonderful is happening here, and how do they respond? They mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. I'll tell you what, that is repentance. You kind of get the picture that that he was saved before he hit the ground. Am I right? That's amazing. And they're still muttering. So Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? Please be seated. And may God bless the reading of his word. Some things are just so simple. You and I are called to love people. I want us to see Jesus' example here as a great example to us of how to do that how to notice, how to care for, what to do. I pray that in the reading of God's Word today that we're inspired to do that. I don't feel like this message will be successful unless we do something. On the way out today, the sermon isn't done. Just know that. I pray that it's done when you follow the Spirit's prompting to love somebody. We're in a series of messages on core values that our elders have identified that we hope can guide us in fulfilling a vision 
to bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors. And who's your neighbor? Well, it's whomever is next to you. And sometimes it's the person who's very different than you are, the person you don't expect to have a need. Pray that we'll have eyes to see what he has to say. Here's a list of the core values that we're inviting you to try on in this sermon series. We want you to see what we're discerning, and by God's grace, we pray that these simple core values lead us forward as we negotiate some kind of nuts and bolts specific plans of how to bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors. One thing you might notice about these seven descriptions, and I've emailed to you some longer descriptions of each one, right? One thing you'll notice about these is that at least three of these core values have to do with our relationships with each other, right? Today's, of course, loving people. Loving God is first, loving people. Another one uh, is community. We'll talk a little more specifically about what it means to care for each other and to be a loving community that way when we get there. And then outreach, of course, that, that God helps us to practically serve others. That one has more to do with the proclamation of Jesus, whereas today's is simply receiving people right where they are. In fact, I want to read this core value. This is the fuller explanation of the core value that we're looking at. Christ welcomes all people with gentleness and respect. And so we do likewise, recognizing that each person is an image bearer of our creator. Just pause for a second. That's a big statement. Do you believe it? This is profound. Each person that you encounter, in spite of whether they're out on a limb, is an image bearer of God. Do we... Do we see people that way? We do not fear difficult and sincere faith questions. Our temptation is to mutter <laughs> when things get muddy and difficult. We know that encountering Christ precedes healing and transformation. The account of Zacchaeus is the account of repentance. It's the account of coming clean. It's about a guy who is a tax collector, and in that day, tax collecting meant that he cheated people. We know that. In fact, in order to become a tax collector in Zacchaeus' day, he had to probably bribe an official to get the privilege of taking taxes for Rome from his fellow citizens who were a conquered people. It wasn't very popular. In fact, the only way that he made money was to exercise a larger tax so that people really didn't know what part of the tax they were giving to Zacchaeus was pocketed by Zacchaeus and how much was given to Rome. As long as Rome got their due, they didn't care. And what a clever way to do it. Their IRS agents are the bad guys. <laughs> and they're the ones who are their own people. And so Zacchaeus, not a very popular guy, probably in need of transformation, wouldn't you say? Probably not very liked in his community. In fact, to become a tax collector, if you were a Jewish person in the first century in Jesus' day, it meant that you were automatically excommunicated from the synagogue. I want us to start thinking about that, to think about the pain in Zacchaeus' life. 
One detail that we know about Zacchaeus is that he was short. That's how it comes across in the NIV. But actually in the Greek, literally it means an underformed body of a child. He had some kind of disability. It was beyond just being short. I want us to recognize that surely there was pain in Zacchaeus' life. If Zacchaeus grew up around people, and if he was different, then he had pain. You remember junior high school? Kids are not always nice about our differences, are they? And what they don't realize, what none of us realize at the time, is that we're all different. (laughs) And we all feel inadequate and inferior. And there's things about ourselves that we just don't like. But wow, kids are brutally honest. And it's difficult. And, and so think about the pain in Zacchaeus' life. I'm not making any excuse for what he may have done that was wrong. Obviously, he cheated people because when he encountered Jesus, he immediately knew his need not just to come to faith, if you will, but to make it right. He admits that he's cheated people and he needs to make that right. But what I notice is, is, is the timing of Jesus' invitation, which happens first. His transformation or Jesus' Jesus invitation? Well, it's his invitation. That happens first. And because he receives this invitation of Jesus, he's, he's changed. I want us to learn three lessons from Jesus' example here. And I think they're important for us as a church interested in fulfilling a vision that God would put in front of us to extend his hope. The first lesson that I see is this. Jesus teaches us by what he does, what he says, that there's a difference between seeing and noticing. Seeing and noticing. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? I'm convinced that there are Zacchaeuses around us all the time. People who are in need of an answer, people who feel rejected, who don't feel like they would be accepted in a religious circle. (laughs) You know, there's this belief that people hold naturally, that religious people are closer to Jesus. You hear people say that. I I wish I could be religious like my grandma. As if to say, I'm just not and I just can't. And for those people, it's wonderful because they're close to Jesus and I'm not. Does that sound about familiar, about right? Do people assume that that's true? That religious people are going to be closer to Jesus or that Jesus loves them more? What I see in this account is Jesus walking by a horde of people. And what's happened, actually, is Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead in a nearby village called Bethany. And he's on his way through to get to Jerusalem. They've probably heard about this miracle because Jesus' popularity is just growing and growing and growing as he heads into Jerusalem. Of course, this will become the hostile crowd that demands his crucifixion because he doesn't give them what they want. It's a very public scene. It's a difficult scene for us to think about. 
What you have here is Jesus recognizing an individual in the midst of a crowd. I went to graduate school in Southern California, and a professor said something that just stunned me. He said, the average person in Southern California sees more people in three days than a person in the Middle East in biblical times in the first century would have seen in a lifetime. And this just stuck in my head. And I began to realize as I'm in this sea of traffic, as, as I see all these people walking by me all the time, even as I interact with so many people I don't know their name, it's true. You and I are bombarded by crowds all the time. We see so many faces. It tends to have the effect on us of desensitizing us to the fact that every person we encounter is an image bearer of God. Every person we encounter is noticed by Jesus, even if their sin has put them up a tree. Even if they feel like they have to be hiding, even if they are not religious and don't know how to approach Jesus other than just to be desperate and to run and to climb because they know they need hope and they know they need help. And I'm convinced that they're all around us. And I know not everybody is spiritually sensitive. Not everybody is interested. Paul says some live as enemies to the cross. I know, I know. But I also know that there are Zacchaeuses among us. And I just believe that he's put one in your life who probably knows that your garage door went up today and you left for church. Who's probably fully aware that you're one of those religious people that perhaps they even admire and wish they could become, but don't feel they belong, feel too hurt, don't believe somehow that they can be those people. And they've got their, their mind. I love the, the mission of Young Life because it's specific to an age group. And like the testimony you heard this morning, uh, I also was not raised in a religious home. And it was an outward-looking youth group that found me. And to me, my situation is, I was up a tree. <laughs> I, I hope you don't grow weary of hearing some of the circumstances but I lived in a rental house with one and a half bedrooms with five smokers living in this house, inside the house. Everybody smoked inside the house in those days, am I right? We were not a church family. We had child protection. We had law enforcement um, visiting us. We were the recipients of the churches that brought gifts. I remember that. It was so embarrassing, so difficult. <laughs> but that was, that was where I came from. And so as a junior hire, it was so self-conscious that I was very different. I always wanted to be a good student. I cared about school, but most of the peers that I hung out with, they smelled different than I did. Did you know you smell different in a smoking home? <laughs> I, I don't know that I did. <laughs> but I just knew that things were different. I couldn't afford the things that they afforded. And, and honestly, I remember one time, Talent Friends Church had a booth in a park. And I don't remember what they were giving away, but they were there, and it was Talent's Festival that they had. And and, and I just remember after parade, they, they, they had a booth there, and I wouldn't go up to it. And I was curious about what it would be like 
to go to church. Not everybody thinks about that. But I did. And I remember as a young kid just imagining, would God accept me if I died tonight? I remember watching television evangelists on TV and presenting the message of salvation and praying in front of the television, but never feeling like I belonged in the crowd of church. We had an active youth group. We had a youth group with volunteers who drove to Mexico. We thanked them by bounding them with tape and gagging them. Don't do this to your youth leaders, okay? We brutalized our youth leaders. Wonderful, wonderful people. And and the guy dignified. He was an attorney. (laughs) But he loved us. A different youth pastor that I had um, spent time with me, rode bicycles with me. That, that was my thing. I used to do road biking. And I'll never, 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 never forget that. Because I felt like a misfit to the church. And I know that Zacchaeus felt this way. That, that he didn't belong with that crowd. That somehow his disability, really caused by her sin, caused by whatever, caused him so that he could not see Jesus. And Jesus was on his way through to the most important mission anyone's ever had to save the world, to die for our sin, has time to look away from the religious crowd and to look into the eyes of Zacchaeus. And we're called to be his hands and feet. We're called to be people whose eyes meet with the eyes of people and notice the hurting. I can't help myself. On Sunday mornings, I have to hang out in the foyer. I don't like to go far from it. Because I pray for someone to come through those doors. And when they do, I know it's hard for them the first time. It's awkward. What are these people going to think of me? (laughs) They care about me. There are people all around us. By the way, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. (laughs) He was probably not liked. (laughs) Is there somebody like that in your world? Are you noticing them? It's a first step. Seeing is involuntary. Noticing is voluntary, right? The scripture says God never overlooks a sparrow. He pays attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. If we're called to be Christ-like, part of what that means is, is that we're to notice people and value people the way God does. Church's success is not defined by buildings and budgets and programs. It's defined by love. Nothing else will ever, ever substitute for a genuine love for God and a genuine love for others. Starts there. Second lesson. Jesus teaches us by who he is, by what he does, by what he says. The difference between curiosity and caring. Our media is fascinated by tragedies. If there's um, 
a well-known person who falls or fails. Media is all over it. They want to know the details. They want to get in there and let everybody know what some of the circumstances are. They don't care about the privacy of the person or anything else. Why is that? Is that so that as a country we can rally around those people and help them? No chance. It's just a sick curiosity that is embedded in human nature. We want to know about people's struggles, but we don't want to help them. It's, it's within our makeup. It's interesting to see how Jesus is different than that. I'm sure there's a lot of curiosity about Zacchaeus in their community. <laughs> Jesus sees him in the, in the sycamore fig tree. He notices him, and then he calls his name Zacchaeus. And I think this is important because the word Zacchaeus means pure one. <laughs> and I have to imagine the crowd <laughs> probably did a double take. I wonder if they had a different name for Zacchaeus that they used <laughs> all the time. And I even wonder if he hadn't heard his name spoken in a loving tone in a long time. It reminds me of God intervening in Jacob's life. Jacob means deceiver. And God interrupted that and said, I no longer call you Jacob, but I call you Israel, a prince of God, someone who has seen the face of God and lived, someone whom God would use for incredible purpose moving forward. Zacchaeus. I don't imagine Zacchaeus saw himself as pure one. What would it be like to hear Jesus say that to you? What was it like for Zacchaeus who repented to know that days later Jesus would literally die for his sin on a cross? Jesus calls our name. He sees in us what other people may not see in us. And church, we're called to do that for others before they change. Grace is hard, isn't it? This is tricky for us. We don't want to somehow give you the wrong idea that extortion is okay. We don't want you to think that cheating everybody out of their money is an okay thing. How do we demonstrate love and grace and care without condoning a behavior that's so destructive? I know, it's tricky. Jesus, as our master, teaches us at least to care. Wouldn't you agree? And there's something in us that's so defensive about the sin of the world around us that this is hard to do. Third point, there's a difference between caring and involvement. Jesus 
goes beyond even just having compassion for this guy. Doing what only Jesus can do, changing his nature. Calling him to repentance, even with just the calling out of his name. But he invites him to dinner. Now come with me on that. That's an extra step, wouldn't you say? Because he knows full well what the response of the crowd is going to be to that. He doesn't just go up to the tree and say, talk to me in a few minutes. <laughs> he demonstrates this care and this love in front of everybody. That's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to see behind the sin. To be willing to associate with and to be misunderstood as Jesus was. Jesus wasn't so afraid of being contaminated. Do you notice it? I mean, they are. Jesus is a friend of sinners, they say. He's going to the house of a sinner to eat. He doesn't care. Do we? Involvement. I must stay at your house today. I'm going to let a music video finish this sermon today. It's something that was shown during Northwest Security Meeting Sessions by our speaker, and I can't get it out of my head. So I'm going to invite you to watch it and just sit prayerfully for a minute after you see it. Continue to ask the Lord to show you somebody that needs grace, somebody that needs hope, somebody that needs your invitation and your involvement.